to breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch Tis the I season know. to rush everything and then now you have a break a little bit at least That's true I put Trish on a train yesterday. Mm-hmm. Does she weird. know? <laughs> on a midnight train <laughs> to Georgia? Like, where's she going? I think she knows by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all worn off and she yeah. should have woken up. Get into this Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it quirky? No, we just did. We on purpose used an Amtrak. And honestly, guys, it's pretty rad. I don't. I mean, if you have time, which it certainly takes a lot of, everything else about it is, like, better than flying. It's pretty nice. Oh, yeah. Did we talk about this? I thought... Maybe. I I feel like we talked about Amtrak at some point. Yeah, I've been excited about it. Yeah. For a week. But I liked how I got to take her to the station, and then, like, she went and got her ticket tracked, and I just kept on going with her right up to the little train car. And I could do a little hug and kiss before she went away. Like, it's so much better Aww. than the train where you're just like, bye. Did you run? A- I didn't oh. run after the train. No. Did you think? No, I did. And then I realized I was tired and I wanted to go home. <laughs> All right, I'm over this. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be back. So whatever. <laughs> well, I'm going to get on a train on uh, Monday and go up there. And then we're going to come on. We're going to come back together on, on the first. So. Where are you going? Chicago area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chicago, yeah. She got I call off at it Union Chi Town because I'm that's because cool. you're very cool. I'm yeah, very cool. That's very. You're intimidating me right now. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying to over the internet, <laughs> but to be fair, your Christmas hat, your Santa hat over your headphones is also very intimidating. <laughs> It's so funny looking. I love it so much. Nothing can defeat the Christmas spirit. You can't put headphones over the hat. What's the point of that? I don't know how to wear this. What's the proper... I think exactly what you're doing is correct. (laughs) What's the proper toss for this hat ball? I I mean, to the side. Yeah, I like it to the side. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay, I'll stop fiddling with it then. I don't believe that. (laughs) an ongoing goddamn thing but we're here for it because it's christmas all over Mm -hmm. however that song goes Mm -hmm. that's all i know again Mm -hmm. it just says again it just says and then you start over again we lived one more year everybody it's christmas all over again somehow we lived this one yeah i was gonna say is this would this year have been would 2020 be considered living this year as opposed to like surviving or did it we live it even more because we were trying so hard not to contract covid and die I That's think it true. depends on what kind of Instagram influencer you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, are you one of those like self-deprecating? I haven't gotten off the couch and I've got this. Or are you like, look, the outdoors and me doing a headstand mm. or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Look at these leaves I found. Like yeah. That kind of 
Yeah. I think, I think I've, I've done all of it. I've, yeah, I've kind of gone both. I mostly have spent it on the couch, but this is the year, first year I've spent sober since high school. So that's a, in a quarter century. So that's good. I feel yeah. like I lived this year in a way I haven't lived previous years, but I lived it on my couch. Do you it's think that call. was easier to do because we weren't doing comedy shows where you get paid in booze? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I've noticed I have drank far less as well. Yes. Yes. Not being handed a little piece of paper and saying this is entirely worthless unless you trade it for alcohol really helps. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's strange yeah. how that works. I mean, I'm proud of both of y'all then for... Oh. Doing for not doing that. I feel like yeah, for not doing comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I drink a fuck ton at the beginning and now I'm just back to normal. Normal normal ton. Normal drinking. A not, normal ton. Yeah, and the normal <laughs> ton. But I'm not I have water I've got right some, now. got some eggnog right now. It's it's virgin. just I don't it's, eggnog. It's, all it's a hundred percent nog, yeah. Hundred percent egg. It's just liquefied oh, yeah. eggs with cinnamon on top of it. Oh my god! I just, I just thought about <laughs> vegan eggnog, and I want to kill myself. No, I'm sure it exists. I'm sure it's horrible. Oh, yeah. it has to, and I hate thinking about it. It's just a soy blend. It's I just bet blended it actually. Color. Yeah, I bet it's just like. I, Thinking about, it, I was I had some horch or rum chata earlier, which I fucking love. Oh yeah, I'm a mom too. Drink, yeah, around Christmas time, but that's made with like regular horchata is made with just rice milk, which I didn't even know. I looked in it, so maybe that's yeah. vegan eggnog. Just make it out of rice. I have looked it up, and I found an easy vegan eggnog recipe. Serves eleven. Is it water it's- with cinnamon in it? Yeah. And egg. three no, cups. Wait, oh, this this site. Wow. Okay. Three cups of dairy free milk, parentheses, preferably homemade. What? Slash we what? love a cashew almond blend. And then you also Get need fucked. a I know, right? Yeah, I'm already. And gone. then you also need a can of full fat coconut milk, and then you also need maple syrup before you get to the eggnoggy stuff. Whew. I do love coconut milk, like the kind that comes in a can that's like real thick. Shit's good. Yeah, totally. This just sounds like curry without the uh, spices. Yeah, or like Tom it's Ka. Curry. Yeah. Soup. It's yes. just Tom Ka soup without spicy in it. I love yeah. that. And I love it because it always makes me shit. Tom Ka does? Yes. 100% hey. of the time. Mm. Yeah. Nothing like a reliable shit. Yeah. Like, hey, man, it's been like over three days. <laughs> Have you guys been following Eve Six on Twitter? <gasps> yes, 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 yes. Uh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Oh, my God. Lisa, no. No. <laughs> he has decided, fuck it. I guess they got dropped by their label mm-hmm. and he's just using his Twitter however he wants to use it. He's tweeting like five times an hour. 
He's just he, tweeting at celebrities, do you like that Heart in a Blender song? Yeah. And it's fucking fantastic. And he's yep. dragging every other 90s singer yep. through the ringer. Especially the guy from Third Eye Blind who once yes. told him that he fucked his wife. The Third Eye Blind <laughs> said this to Eve Six Guy and apologized and then told him that he was a wordsmith like Jim oh, Morrison. Jim Morrison. Yes. Man, I mean, doing crystal meth will put you up into your place. Well, that's where this was going is apparently he, uh, Eve Six guy tweeted that the lead singer for Smash Mouth probably has diarrhea right now. And so, of course, the Smash Mouth account tweets back like, hey, man, just thinking about cocaine gives you the shits. So, like, <gasps> I mean, the world is like suddenly full of joy again. <laughs> I, oh no, y'all! I have to go. Yeah, the Smash Mouth people have been fairly, I feel like, fairly liberal with their like the way mm. they look at themselves. Like they know, they know their Smash. They Mouth. all know. I think they all know, except Third Eye Blind yeah. is what I'm learning from the Eve Six guy. Yes, and he's just like, oh yeah, Stephen Jenkins is a. I've yeah. heard real weird things. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. he's not great, but the Eve Six guy he's been wonderful on Twitter for at least the past like three days. I feel like so yeah. I'm surprised. I mean, I retweeted one of them, but it's not your fault that you didn't see it. It's mine because I should have told you immediately. Mm. It's Eve been Six. brilliant. And bonus. He said he hates all comedy except for Jake Flores, and he's name-checked Jake like five times. Wait, really? Yeah, apparently they're friends. <laughs> Wait, who is Jake Flores? He's is he Austin? He used to be an Austin comedian. He moved to New York. He got famous for being investigated by the DHS for one of his tweets. <gasps> and uh, and Lisa knows him pretty well. Yeah, and, she does. Uh, Anyway, I guess he's the only comedian the guy from Eve Six likes. So there you go. That's so funny. Eve Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah, that's, that's what it's feeling new, like. Yeah. Yeah. Game. I mean, I got totally. like one degree over here. Yeah, uh, right? Like a half a degree. Like a half a degree. Oh my God. See? Like an associate's degree. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just took one hit and I'm there, baby. Bye. Uh, it's good to see. Man, you. I was so fucking tired yesterday. I was in like a I don't give a fuck place and just talking shit with whoever, on whoever. With me, Let's- on people. <laughs> yeah. Who I will not mention, but yes. <laughs> don't worry, yeah. Karina, it wasn't you, but it was oh, others. I'm- I had a realization yesterday that everybody probably has hated on me at some point, And it was weirdly freeing. It was like, Oh, I feel so much better about hating on everybody. I know it's because <laughs> I feel like everybody's also hated on me. It's good. It's just circle of life shit. You know, if I thought anyone hated on me, I would run into traffic. No. Well, the nobody more, gets the no. more I like, no, that's not true. Oh, come on. <laughs> I feel like the more I talk shit, the older I get, the like more I'm like, God, I bet other people are saying shit like this about me Mm -hmm. all the time. And they would be right, probably. So, oh, yeah, whatever. I, 
I'm a big advocate of the fact that once you reach your 40s, you have, first of all, fully come to accept how flawed and how much of a failure you are as a person. And second of all, kind of like started to embrace it. And then when you're in your 50s, you sort of lean into it and become like worse and more (laughs) sure that that level of shittiness is the best you can achieve. So you might as well just fulfill it. And, And that's why people in their 50s are the worst. But people in their 40s, pretty chill and nice and give good advice that rhymed did you just get nominated like 40s person of the year i did yes but i got third place oh behind who the guy from eve six the guy from eve six (laughs) the guy from eve six he was number one and two yeah the guy from eve six and uh and the chicks in that porno starring Jake Flores. That's, that's, that was number two. Um, sorry. I don't we know what back. you're talking about. Oh my God. Nerd. In case that now. doesn't get edited out, that was the smallest adjustment I have ever seen. It was pretty you know, funny. It's it's important for the house to look good during the season. This oh, season God. only. Yeah, I hate this season. <laughs> you don't look like you're the you only. Do. Yeah, you're, you're the you're only back one on here that, like, this is desperation. This all <gasps> of this is just me desperately trying to make it festive and fun. I this is I. It's because oh, I don't want to get too down, but um, here before I. Bubble gun before I get down. Woo! Oh, Come on, yes. bubbles. You can do it. Go, go, go. Bubble gun. Oh, bubble come on. Gun, bubble gun. Bubble gun. This is so much overcompensation <laughs> for something. <laughs> it is. It is. I oh, know. I'm still exhausted. I've been alone on Christmas Eve every year for seven years, and it's, it gets to me every year, and I'm determined to not be. Um, sad about it this year, so I'm being extra festive. <clears throat> I feel like the most I've ever cried, or at least top five times, is when I've been alone on Christmas Eve, and it's because I'm watching TV, and every mm-hmm. goddamn commercial is yes. like, look, you're with all your loved ones, and I'm like, I'm alone no, in not. a recliner. Fuck <laughs> <Yep. laughs> you, TV. Nobody's buying me a Lexus. <laughs> Where do you even get a bow that big? Which, by the way, that bow mm. has to cost like half the amount of that car. Mm. If it's like a Nissan. Or a Nissan, yes. Alexis, no. I'd say a third yeah. of Alexis. Yeah. It's yeah. like a Pinterest thing. I feel like somebody on Pinterest made one. Well, welcome to Weird Brunch, our podcast. Yeah. Um, Merry late Christmas, I assume. A day after Merry Boxing Day, maybe we'll yeah. see when I can. Sure, yeah. um, plenty of time. <laughs> ho 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 ho! That's how we have to laugh for the rest of the episode. Oh no! Oh, no! Oh no! We've already got. We've had. We've had three hoes on this podcast all year. We don't need to say it. That true. True. Oh, oh, oh. But who wants to go first today? <gasps> 
Well, I would like to say that I'm Lisa Friedrich. Oh, I'm Karina Magyar. I'm Whitney Lamont. This is still Weird Brunch. Woo! I feel like we haven't said our names in a while. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Maybe I feel I like just- more people will be tuning in because it's, you know, slow time, holiday time. So it it's is. like a good time to reintroduce ourselves. Like yes. maybe we should go around in a circle and share like where we're from share- and how many years we've been doing this. And Whoa. Uh, That's a lot. And a fun fact about I yourself. Was gonna say a fun what- fact about yourself that share- you can't put on. Yeah. Share your sadness. Christmas mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, and why you're excited to work on this project. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm glad you're off for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'm losing my mind. You need it, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you guys are aware, but shit is shutting back down and hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, rock hard. Dwayne the Rock Johnson hard. Hard. Yes. Hard. My favorite um, actor, hard. So turned on. Uh, I was so turned on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, like people are still desperate to get out and do anything because, like, we haven't been risking it. We want to do something. Shit shutting down. Now, when I fucking wrote this, uh, this was the situation. This was before December 15th. So I do, I want to say this part. Um, and I, at the time <clears throat> was shook that any country was letting us in as Americans. Uh, but as of now, before December 15th, you can still visit the UK from America. And as of December 15th, if you, you can still go, but you have to quarantine for 14 days upon arrival. So you better have like a lot of time off. Mm. Um, but if you do go, uh, at the time, no longer true at the time, Mary King's close was on the quote, good to go list, according to UK health officials. I love that they're calling it a good to go list. <laughs> yeah, it's very Santa-y. It's cute. Um, and then in all caps, I wrote, this was all written before the UK developed that all new COVID. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So this is in Edinburgh. It's a close, which is an alleyway. Uh, it's like an insanely narrow street, like a bunch of different side streets. And they're like a labyrinth, you know, they're going to go to the left. Go there. It's kind of you've seen it in movies a little bit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So uh, this one is Mary King's Close. It's named after Mary King. She was a rich ass merchant Burgess, which I looked up what that could have meant. It can mean like eight different fucking things. Oh, I love it as a name, though. Yeah. Yeah. So it could have been that she was like a, f- a free woman that owned her own like land and stuff, or it could mean that she was in some kind of government position. Like hmm. it, it depends on how they're using it. But um, she was also a widow. She lived in the buildings. That's Mary King. Um, this was in like the center of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and then the city walls uh, had been built, right, to protect the people. Having done that, you know, before the 17th century, people are 
you know, the population's exploding. They don't have anywhere to go other than, you know, just packing in housing next to each other and then going up. Um, so this uh, Mary King's Close was, again, small, narrow, windy streets. They led off uh, the Royal Mile. So the Royal Mile is like the heart of Edinburgh. The uh, close could be locked up at each end at night to keep, quote, the undesirables out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's like this weird, is it bougie situation? It's uh, so folks are packed in, in there. They're in tenement buildings and these buildings went up to eight stories. So that's like 50 stories now. I'm not sure about that conversion, but okay. they are considered the first skyscrapers. <clears throat> and then it was all different social classes lived in, in these place in these little, little skyscrapers. Uh, and that's why I'm like, it's kind of like, is it bougie? I don't know. Uh, the rich folks, they lived um, up at the top um, because there was no plumbing. Uh, it was your standard toss out the piss and shit out of the window. Oh, my plumbing. God. For 15 stories? No, well, eight. It's a big splat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's like an um, airplane splat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why the richer you were, the higher up the building you were. Uh when they would throw the, the when they would throw the uh, pee pee and doo doo out the window, they would <laughs> shout. They would shout, "Guardy Lou!" Oh, I kind of like that. I do too. I kind of want to start that when when I'm let's, having my cocaine shits. Let's go throw shit at Lisa's house and say that, "Guardy Lou!" Lou. Guardy Lou. It's, like, it's like a form of caroling, if you think about it. <laughs> Oh God! Um, <clears throat> so the Mary King's Close <clears throat> was a real rat paradise, just dancing in these pea showers, eating food from all these people <laughs> in this tiny little section. Uh, and they all had their own little fleas that were also in paradise because there were all these oh. rats. Uh, so they were just dancing on piss rats. <laughs> <laughs> That sound awesome. Dancing on piss rats. <laughs> That's my bug. Isn't that a I really love it. song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so piss these fleas soon became infected with the bacterium Yersinia pestis, a.k.a. the bubonic plague, a.k.a. the Black Death. As Man. you can imagine, this is a big old uh-oh party for the residents of Real Mary King's Close. Let's just rewind a little bit before this. The, when the plague started popping up on the British Isles, it was only in England. So the Scots were like, lol, fuck you, England. And then they all called it the woo flu, which was weird. Um mm. <laughs> No, I'm, they did call it the foul death of the English, which is almost like, I don't know which is more offensive or less offensive, or if they're equally offensive for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they got it. So that's what happens. Uh, so again, symptoms of bubonic plague, swollen glands, unsightly bulbous pus-infused boils on the Ugh. groin area and okay. under the arm, and severe bouts of intestine rupturing, vomiting. 
Okay. Bubonic play. Well, sounds like my Saturday night. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <get it. laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I got covered in boils oh, yeah. on my cross. Oh, God. Just uh, kidding. <laughs> so... After Scotland's calling this like LOL, the foul death of the English, they're all going to get murdered. Uh, it ends up taking out a quarter of the Scottish population. And like, this is just history. And I know it doesn't repeat itself <laughs> ever, ever. Um, <clears throat> so in the tight quarters of Mary King's Close, the disease was particularly devastating. One story is that the whole close was quarantined during the plague. The closest gates were locked. It's so hard to call this a close. Uh, mm -hmm. Effectively quarantining its inhabitants. Some folks report it was sealed off by Edinburgh officials, leaving 300 to 600 residents to just figure it out <laughs> or die. So that was, that gets out there, but <clears throat> in reality, the plague victims were actually mostly well cared for. Uh, the town council managed the outbreak fairly uh, efficiently and compassionately, especially for the time. Families healthy enough to be moved were taken to Berg Muir Muir Muir. Sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah. Sure. Uh, those who weren't able to be moved let the workers know by putting up white flags in their windows, uh, which also signaled that that house needed food and coal curbside right to your doorstep. Oh, <laughs> I love it. The plague doctor that was kind of the main, you know, head bitch in charge especially this area, George Ray, he would come into town wearing your traditional uh, leather from head to toe and your bird-shaped mask. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the leather kept the fleas from biting Ray. I didn't realize that's why it was all leather. <laughs> Learn oh. something new every weird brunch, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he... So, and then the weird beak thing was stuffed with sweet smelling herbs to conceal the <clears throat> repugnant mm. stench and germs. Pocket mm -hmm. full of posy. Mm hmm. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Wow, that's. Mm. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, Darker to, than I thought. Yeah. To save a plague victim, Ray would slice off the top of the victim's sore and jam a red-hot poker into the wound to cauterize it. Mm. Do it again, Daddy. Ooh. Oh, God. Karina's said that a lot before. <laughs> um, so a side note on old George Ray, the city council promised him like a, a pretty big com uh, compensation for his time and risk, like money. They were like, well, we're going to pay you this. And that was only because they were like, that motherfucker's going to die. Mm -hmm. So then, oops, he lived. And uh, he gets into a decade-long altercation with the council until he receives his rightful payout of 1,200 pounds, Scots, mm -hmm. per year. 
I don't Scott's know. Scott's pounds. Scott's pounds? Those sound like they're not worth anything. Well, likely. Of a guy. Like, here, here's some Scott's pounds. Yeah, it translates to like 50 stories today. Um, mm. After the plague had passed, uh, people kept living in Mary King's Close uh, actually up until the beginning of the 20th century. That said, around 1750, Mary King's Close and the other closes were pretty much, you know, in that dilapidated state of just falling apart and people are living there, but ain't nobody come like, you know, your taxes aren't going to fix in the road that you live on, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the people... And yeah, so they were also like continuing to like build on top of each other, you know, let's make this apartment, two apartments, that kind of shit. And then um, there was also just, again, 1750s, there's just political upheaval literally everywhere. Um, And then living that on top of people, you know, lots of fighting. So the people propose a safe haven and a quote covered place of exchange where merchants and traders could move away from the street. Uh, And like, I don't know how this is related, but also national records should be kept there. Okay. Okay. Uh, So the 18th century city authorities were worried about losing trade to Edinburgh's new town. So they decided to build a new Royal exchange. That's going to make the people happy. We're not going to lose trade to the new town. And they find this perfect spot. It's opposite the St. Giles cathedral. And there's just one small problem that it's, that is Mary King's close. So there's all these houses and rather than knocking down the houses, they take the top floors off and use the lower floors, the rest of the house as the foundations for the Royal exchange. Sure. Sounds good. Unstable. Yeah. A hundred percent. So the other end of Mary King's close was demolished in 1853. So Cockburn street could be built. And even though it was underground, uh, that wasn't totally abandoned, which I, love these little creepy people they (laughs) some of the residents were like no we're not leaving and they carried on running businesses in this weird underground like half buried world so you know as time goes on people are more and more of the mary king's close is kind of getting hidden buried demolished and so people at this point are kind of like i know people used to live here but like did they and like what is this um So you could go underground to buy your tobacco or get a wig made. There's also been talks of murders. I like that in my mind, those are the only two things. It's like go underground for tobacco and wigs Wigs. and get you a wig. wig. It's going to look good. Um, (laughs) Well, Whitney, there were also saw makers the last, the last people to leave the (laughs) close. Was the Chesney family? What up, Kenny? Um, which were <laughs> lawmakers? Uh, they hu- hung on in there until 1902, and they're finally forced out as the exchange uh, is going up, and the um, they needed to extend it further. 
So the, that's when the last close was sealed up, 1902. As more and more buildings and roadways are built on top of Mary King's Close, we're forgetting about it. It's underground. We don't we don't know it even exists at this point. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't rediscovered until workmen digging on the street punch down and they did an uh-oh uh, into the winding street. So during some construction workers like, what the fuck? Um, so this is all under the Royal Mile now as it as it is. Um, the closes were actually used as bomb shelters during World War II, side note. Mm-hmm. And um, the it's also been called Edinburgh's Most Haunted Street. Ooh. Nice. One of the most famous ghosts supposed to live here is a 10-year-old girl named Annie who died of the plague. Believers report temperature changes and feeling a strange presence in her room. Uh, Many have left toys, dolls, and sweets for her in the close. By the way, this is uh, now a tourist attraction. It sounds like it's kind of similar to the catacombs, but the catacombs were built specifically for like dead bodies, right? Yeah. yeah, those were dug down. So yeah, like they went they meant to be underground. Okay. Yeah. This is more like accidentally underground. Well, I don't know for purpose. Um sure. so it's also been pointed out that this close ran the nearest of any to the old Nor Lock, which is a stagnant and highly polluted marsh. Uh, Norlock was essentially an open cesspit. Butchers ju- uh, dumped their waste into the lock. Uh, people disposed of their victims in the murky waters. The city would toss remains of prisoners into Norlock. Gross. Well, now that's just going to make it harder on the cops when they go looking for victims. Yeah. If just- there's people who are already bad guys who are dead in there, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which so is which, you know. Do it, bad guys. Good on you for dumping the bodies there because there's already a fuck ton of bodies who's going to find them. Not me. I'm not, I'm not going, going in there, there either. Um, so just a real quick, the uh, some ghosts in Norlock, uh, the ghosts of Mr. Sinclair and his two sisters were said to haunt the lock. Uh, in 1628, the siblings were taken into custody on charges of incest. The three, which honestly, 1628, we're going to get mad at people for fucking their siblings. We were doing that up until that point. Was that a new rule? Was that a new law? Anyway. New rule. New rule. Time out. (laughs) We're not Uh, cool with this anymore. Thank you. (laughs) The three of them were locked in a chest and thrown alive into Norlock. Over two centuries later. Workers uncovered a box sunk deep into the mud and found three skeletons inside. Um, But back to Mary King's Close. If you would like to visit in 2003, they opened it up to the public. Uh, You can visit this little area and it's one of those really fun places that everyone loves to go where a bunch of improvisers are trying to make four bucks an hour. Uh, 10 bucks an hour and they're like a good day it's bubonic plague years <laughs> welcome to mary king's 
close. Uh, <laughs> if you look over here, there's boil. <laughs> look uh, at my genitals like that. <laughs> yay. That's a different yeah, kind of place boil. that improvisers work at. Yeah. Um, and so you can go and get a really cool tour. Um, there's also some shops and I think like a cafe or two. Um, but yeah, you can go anytime, uh, except for Christmas day. Sorry. I know. Damn it. I was ready to go right now. I, I know. Um, but they do have special events throughout the year, like Halloween, Spooky Season, Whitney. Uh, you can go in there. There's a bunch of plague doctors. Um, and then also like, oh, what does Christmas look like uh, before that plague happened? So it's a lot of like uh, Charles Dickens type shit, but 200 years before. I love it. Let's go. Yeah, I, I liked it because it was... Um, plague related and spooky related Mm -hmm. and i could make fun of improvisers (laughs) checked every box every box in the book Mm -hmm. guardy lou ladies and gentlemen guardy lou Lou. sounds like the kind of thing and that's why this city in mississippi is named what it is kind of story Mm. oh I was like, are you, know? you segueing into your story? That's what I thought. I was like, whoa. Mississippi? <laughs> Did someone say Mississippi myself? Well, no, I don't, that doesn't take <laughs> that my worry. story at all. <laughs> but I will go next if that's okay. Works for me. So we're going to talk about a man who has a mess. And probably a bad guy, even though all the stories about him are like, huh, 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 listen, to, get a load of this drunk. He's probably just a really awful person. But anyway, this story has a twist ending, so hang with I it. I love it. It's a guy named Larry McPhail. Mm-hmm. Larry McPhail is in the Baseball Hall of Fame, as is his son. Uh, Wait, but not from I'm playing sorry. baseball. Do you spell it like fail? With a PH, but you definitely say it like fail. You know, that sucks. (laughs) So uh, he and his son and his grandson and his great grandson have all been executives in Major League Baseball. Um, And he is in the Hall of Fame along with his son. And the reason he's in the Hall of Fame is that he uh, was a big pioneer in the early days of such things as having games on the radio, having games on TV, having games at night, batting helmets, salaries like just he kind of brought the game into the modern era these were all things that other owners and executives fought but he was like stopping stupid if people listen to the game on the radio then they'll want to go to see a game in real life and stuff like that and uh he proved the theory incorrect that if you had a game at night with lights from the top of the stadium you wouldn't only be able to see the top of the ball which is what people really thought because i guess they'd never because the earth is flat that yeah, is exactly. that's true, though. Come on. Uh, so he was born uh, to Scottish immigrants in 1890. Uh, he is named Leland Stanford McPhail. His first and middle name are both named after a good family uh, friend named Leland Stanford, who was a famous railroad tycoon who went on to actually found 
that Stanford University in California. So even though he was born to immigrant parents, he was sort of in that like, you know, privileged for the 1910s kind of situation. Bougie and, ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he was always a bit of a hellion as a kid. He did go and study law in the 1910s and he was going to practice law until boop, World War One broke out and he went over there and he fought and then he came back and when he came back, he was like, you know what? Before I'm a lawyer, I want to try my hand at like just having fun. And so he bought himself a minor league baseball team in Columbus, Ohio. And this minor league baseball team, the Redbirds, I think it's called, was the team for the Cardinals. It was failing. It was about to go out of business. And he started instituting all the fun things. Yellow baseballs, nighttime baseball, free beers for the kids and hot dogs for the moms. (laughs) Just like all the shit, right? And uh, pretty soon, the AAA Columbus team was outdrawing and out-revenuing the big league St. Louis Cardinals club, which kind of pissed off the St. Louis Cardinals. They did not like that he was overshadowing the major league team. But before they could like put him in his place, he got hired away by the Cincinnati Reds, and that's where he did the first night game, and uh, which is kind of a famous moment in 1934 in baseball history. And became good friends with Branch Rickey, uh, another famous executive who was the one who broke the color barrier with Jackie Robinson in Brooklyn. So these two were like simpatico best friends. The thing about Larry McPhail is that everybody who came in contact with him described him as insane and off, just off his rocker. Um, Leo DeRocher, which, who was his manager most of the time and a very, very famous manager in baseball history, uh, described him as saying uh, the, the the line between genius and madness is very thin and Larry McPhail seems to float across it from moment to moment. So just Whoa. a wild guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he would often uh, hit the bottle pretty fucking hard. Um, so he ran the Reds and then he ran the Brooklyn Dodgers for a while. Both teams while he was running them one world series So he was pretty well-respected, even though he was a terrible, terrible person to work with and fired people left and right without reason and then would forget he fired them the next day and then they would just keep working for him. That kind of shit. Went off to World War II, uh, did that for a while, and when he came back from World War II, uh, instead of going back to the Dodgers, it turns out the New York Yankees were for sale, and he was like, I'm going to buy the Yankees. Wait, hold on. Because he's that kind of a dude. Uh, what did he do in World War He just went to World War II and then... Yep. He was in the army and he oh. achieved the rank of colonel uh, oh, wow. in World War II. Yeah. Yeah. So he comes back in 1945. Turns out the Yankees are for sale. Yes, they're still... They're the Yankees we all know who win World Series all the time. Um, but in 1945, all the teams had had all their players go over and fight in the war. So like baseball was kind of down. And when there's a chance for them to buy it. Oh, and women were playing. So he bought the Yankees. He just up and fucking bought the New York Yankees, which good move, dude. Uh, and he managed them to several World Series. And he almost traded Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams, which if you're a baseball person is like, what? He like negotiated that trade with the Red Sox when they were both drunk. When they sobered up the next day, the Red Sox said that was a terrible idea. And he didn't think so, but it was a fight. The Red Sox and the Yankees have been fighting ever since. Anyway, he got kicked oh. out of the Yankees 
1940, just a few years after he bought them, 1947, at the celebration for them winning the World Series, uh, he was going down to the field to shake hands with Branch Rickey, who was with the Dodgers, his old friend who had now become his nemesis. And uh, Ricky shook his hand. He said, I'm only doing this because we're on camera. You're a miserable bastard. I hate everything you stand for. I never want to be associated with you again. I think you're a fucking mess and a lunatic. And McPhail was like, oh, my God. I can't believe that people think of me like this. And he got completely wasted, went back to the clubhouse, punched a sports writer, burst into tears, and announced his resignation as owner of the Yankees. Um, and that was it. He was out of baseball. He bought some racehorse tracks. This he kind of like so many people I know. So many people <laughs> kind of diddled around who probably should have quit what they were doing, like he did, yeah. but instead said all that shit and just kept going. <laughs> uh huh. He, he uh, yeah, he was he was just a fucking drunk and a mess for the rest of his years in the fifties and sixties. In his seventies, uh, he had onset of Alzheimer. Not to mention a lot of, you know, just mental problems from drinking his whole life and all that. Uh, So he was in a little uh, assisted living home and uh, he gave his son, he said, you know what, son, who at this point uh, was the executive for the Baltimore Orioles through the 60s and 70s when they were good. He said, son, I want to give you this ashtray. And his son looked at it and it was the ashtray that had been on his desk you know, throughout his career, the beautiful crystal carved ashtray. And I know this sounds like a Pulp Fiction story. I swear it's not, but it's beautiful crystal carved ashtray with the letters WI on it. And his son has always wondered like WI, that's not, there's no Larry, there's no Leland, there's no Stanford, there's no McPhail, why WI? And he gives it to him and he says, you can't tell anybody this, but here's how I got this ashtray. So back in World War One. When he joined the army the first time. I was about to say that. Okay, go. Yeah. I'm really. Larry excited. McPhail was in the 145th artillery in the army, 114th field artillery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was run by. I know by, that one. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one. Classic. Which was run by Colonel Lee. Luke, uh, Colonel Leia. His name is Luke Leia. I love it. No. Ooh, yes. Exotic. Luke, L-E-A, Luke Leia, uh, was the uh, head of this regiment. Luke Leia was himself kind of a character. He was born into a wealthy Tennessee family. He practiced law. He was the publisher of the local newspaper. At age 31, he won uh, a seat in the U.S. Senate. He served exactly one term from 1911 to 1917. And then he got voted out because he was a drunk and uh, a mess and just like our friend Larry McPhail, everybody was like, wow, we just accidentally elected a complete retard to this, excuse me, Ooh, a complete bleep that mess, one. <laughs> power, a complete mess to the U.S. Yeah, Senate. We shouldn't vote for complete messes. That's a 21st century idea. So <laughs> he, he didn't win re-election. And uh, at the time, he was 37, something like that. And we were in the middle of World War One. So he's like, ah, I'll join the National Guard. The National Guard's like, well, you're a, a rich kid, and you were just in the Senate. 
uh, why don't you go in the army and then go into this 114th artillery unit? So the 114th field artillery regiment sounds like, oh, they get in the mud and shoot the Germans and stuff. No, they were like uh, where you put all the like delicate rich kids. Mm, story. And what their job was, was to go and sit in Luxembourg, which is a tiny country next to Belgium. There was no military activity going on there, but their job was to sit there in case something happened and then call mom and say, oh, in Luxembourg's being invaded. So they're sitting around in Luxembourg. Colonel Leia is not happy about this. And he says, okay, the next time we have leave, because apparently even though their job is just sitting around in Luxembourg, they still get to leave. Uh, he's like, okay, <laughs> next time we get on leave, I'm going to do something special. And what had happened was we're at the end of the war, right? And uh, towards the end of the war, Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany like abdicated the throne, ran away, and uh, crossed into Holland, which was neutral, and talked his way into getting a castle there. And he just sat in that castle until he died in 1941. So Colonel Leia was like, well, this war is about to end. Chances for glory are fleeting, especially in Luxembourg. Let's go to Holland and kidnap the Kaiser. Mm-hmm. And uh, he probably came up with this while drunk. And Larry McPhail was one of his captains and was like, fuck yeah, let's go kidnap the Kaiser. So they get their leave and they ask their leader, can we go to the Netherlands? And, and the leader was like, no, you can't go to Holland. It's neutral. That would be a war crime. We can't go there. And he said, no, 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 no. Just sightseeing. We don't have any guns. No uniforms. We just want to go see the sights while we're in Europe. Not He's as like, a war crime, just to <laughs> no, no, walk around. Just to see Soaking things. I've never been to Holland. And the guy's like, all right, well, get some passports then, because you're civilians during that time. If you can get some passports, that's cool. So he tries to get passports. It's delayed. It's taking too long. So he goes and talks to the Belgium U.S. minister. And he said, dude, I can't get any passports, but like, I'm a senator. These are my buddies. They're all cool. We want to see Hollands. We've heard good things. Can we go? And the Belgium US minister was like, dude, I'm also a drunk bro. And I'm totally going to hook you up. And he hooks them up with some documents and signs them with the name of Holland's queen. So now they have official documents letting them in from the queen uh, to do a journalistic investigation on Holland during the war. He's like, dude, as long as you should write like one article about like what's going on in Holland. This is totally cool. Colonel Leia is like, yeah, totally, totally, totally. We'll write an article, right? Larry McPhail here, he's my bro. He's going to write an article. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll write an article. Okay. So they hop in a Jeep, no guns, no uniforms, drive to the border of Holland. A soldier stops them and is like, fuck you. You can't come in here. You're Americans. It's World War One. We're neutral. Go away. And they wave their little letter for the queen. And the soldier looks at it and is like, all right, go on in. Uh, and they salute him in. All right, so uh, they're driving up this windy road to this castle where everybody knows Kaiser Wilhelm is staying. And they come up to the castle, and Leia jumps out of the Jeep and goes up and rattles the gate, like, yo, we got business with the Kaiser. <laughs> and <laughs> this guard comes out, and it's like, what the fuck? And he's like, I got a letter from the queen. I want to talk to the Kaiser. I ain't talking to that motherfucker. <laughs> like, who are those guys? They're my friends. We're journalists. And he's like, okay. So he's like, I'll, I'll go see. And they like decide to let him in. So they let him in, take him into the library. They're standing in the library. The owner of the castle, Count Bentink, 
comes in in a full tuxedo coat with tails and says, why are you Americans in our castle? And at this point, I guess Colonel Leia started to sober up because he was just like, "Mm, I can't tell you. I have to tell the Kaiser. And he's like, no, seriously, like, who sent you? Why are you here? What's your business? He's like, I can't tell you. Because he hadn't thought of, like, a story. Uh, And he'd tell the Kaiser. So Benteen's like, fuck you guys. And he storms over to the library in the next room. And he has this discussion. They can hear the Kaiser talking to them. And uh, while they're sitting around looking around, just waiting for the guy to come back, but the Kaiser, who they're going to kidnap somehow, Lee McPhail notices some nice ashtrays on the table. And he pockets mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bentick comes back and he says, look, unless you can prove you have official business with the Kaiser, which your little letter does not say anything about, you got to go. And Leia was like, okay, shit. Uh, okay, we'll go. <laughs> he just leaves because he had no plan for how he was going to pull this off. So they get back in the Jeep, drive the Jeep down the winding road, back to the gate. At the gate, there are hundreds of Dutch citizens with like fucking pitchforks and guns ready to attack the Americans. Cause they were like, goddamn serious about their neutrality. They were like, what the fuck is this? Who let these Americans in? So they have a mob basically ready to like pounce on them for uh, invading Holland essentially. So they hop in their Jeep and they drunkenly drive away as fast as they can. The troops let them go. Cause it's clear. They just want to ski at all. They get back. Colonel Leia's uh, general's like, how was the trip? And he's like, it's good. It's good. It's cool. We're going to write an article. And he's like, all right, fine. A couple weeks later, Kaiser Wilhelm reaches out to The Hague. And at this point, they're negotiating a, tru- a truce, you know, for the end of World War One. He's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still want to sign a truce and all that. But um, some Americans came to my castle and stole one of my priceless ashtrays that was engraved Wilhelm Imperator. And I want it back. And they were like, what? No, we didn't send any troops. And he's like, yeah, well, some American troops stole my ashtray and I want it back. Or I'm not going back to negotiate. So they're like, okay, God. So they send it to like this investigator. The investigator starts sort of like interrogating everybody. Colonel Leia's like, no, nope. oh, we just went to Holland. We just looked around. We didn't go to any castle. No, no, no. And then it was McPhail's turn to get up there. And Leia was like, dude, you are a loose cannon. And you're the one who stole the ashtray because I saw you fiddling with it in the Jeep on the way back. I'm going to be your lawyer. So Leia goes in with McPhail and tells him to say, yes, I picked up the ashtray and I polished it with my coat sleeve. (laughs) But then I put it back down and I don't know where it went. And that was the official story that was accepted by the U S army. And they just went back to Kaiser Wilhelm and said, nah, dude, just polished it and put it back down. Must've been a maid. I don't know. And it was a secret for all these years sitting right on his desk when he was a baseball executive, Kaiser Wilhelm's ashtray that he totally stole from a castle in Holland during world war one, passed it on to his son, told him the story. Son told a little, you know, told the story of the newspaper. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Lo and behold, the descendants of the Kaiser were like, yeah, we want that shit back. It's worth millions of dollars. That is a fine cut crystal heirloom. (laughs) We want that shit back. And so his son's like, oh, I mean, that was just a story he told of like when he went to the castle. I may have embellished it. I think he just picked it up and cleaned it with his sleeve and put it back down. (laughs) 
<laughs> what the army know. said a long time ago. Yeah. That's right. That's no, my right. dad was senile. He's old. He, you know, he's close to death. The ashtray is somewhere in a safe deposit box in Tennessee to this day. In the I, McPhail family. I love that they still have it, but it's just like, I mean, you can never sell it. What? I know. Like, why? Why'd they take it? What are they going to do with it? Why did Wilhelm but, want it so bad if it was just a fucking ashtray? Like, it's so bad. It's called the Hague. Like, I know we're negotiating an end to World War One, but first, somebody took my ashtray. Focus. 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 Like, is it just one of those things where that whole family's just like, hey, I got something real cool? I think so. I mean, are from Tennessee. It's just, like, it's it's just so cool, road. man. Like, you guys want to see something awesome? Check it Follow out. Follow me to the bank. <laughs> My granddad nicked this ashtray from Kaiser. Yeah. <laughs> they pull it out. It's all kind of like yellowed and yeah. still has like old ash in it. And they're like, this is our yeah. family possession. I mean, I'm, cigars. yeah, I'm sure that family yeah. is still very well off considering. Yes. They, they are. They're all baseball executives. They yeah. don't own the Yankees anymore. He got bought out after he punched a sports writer and burst into tears. Right, if right, right. They were still part owners of the Yankees. They'd be doing really well, but they're doing plenty well. They've all been baseball executives. I think the grandson right now runs the Brewers. I don't know. Yeah. I've heard of those. <laughs> I've heard of those. That's, it, I think about that a lot with like, you know, a lot of people make jokes slash probably have Nazi gold, but you mm-hmm. can't like show anybody. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean it's it's the same with like stolen art. Also, like you can only yeah. sell that shit to like other bad other people. art dealers. Yeah, yeah. so eh, I think it's a a small market. Yeah, <laughs> but if it you turn something buyer, priceless into something worthless, basically. Yeah. Well, fuck it. Let's talk about some shitty people. Y'all ready? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All oh, right. God, I love shitty people. Don't we all love shitty all right. people? Uh, everyone mm-hmm. loves someone shitty. Um, all right. So mm-hmm. there's, it's 1986, right? And a child is born. Her name is Christine Paolia. I think it's Paolia. It's spelled P-A-O-L-I-L-L-A. I looked up a few videos of people pronouncing her name and I've heard people say Paolilla, but um, I don't know. I feel like that's like the white way to say it. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I'm just going to go for it. So Armadilla. Armadilla, right? Paolilla. Paolilla. Uh, so she's born to like just kind of like an average family. Unfortunately, at age two, her dad is in a construction accident and dies Soon after that, her mom kind of starts to go off the rails being a single mom. She's starting to uh, do some drugs, do some alcohol abuse, that type of deal. At age five, Christine starts losing her hair and like eyebrows and eyelashes and gets diagnosed with alopecia, which... Uh, for a five-year-old girl in 1991, 
mm-hmm. isn't great, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's mm-hmm. getting bullied like crazy at school. She's growing up and like in her early school years, her mom goes in or like goes completely off the rails. She goes and lives with Christine goes and lives with her grandparents for a little while. She's kind of also bounces around to foster homes. Shit is obviously not great. So she keeps Uh getting bullied. The only type of wigs her like caregivers can afford are, you know, like the cheap kind you buy at, Halloween stores and back then it was like big like not looking nor you know it doesn't look like it's her actual hair and so kids are like pulling off her wig like just relentless it fucking Mm. sucks but by the time she's in her like early teen years her mom is starting to get her shit back together and she meets this guy and they get married and they move down to Clear Lake, right outside of Houston. If, I grew up right there. If you are familiar. So she starts going to Clear Lake High School. And that's where she ends up meeting a girl named Rachel Colorotis, Colorotis and Tiffany Rowell. So Rachel and Tiffany are like the popular girls. And they meet Christine and they're like, you know what? I think we can help you. Let's like fucking clueless this shit and make you over. Honestly, thinking about the time that this was happening and the movie clueless, maybe that's literally what they thought they would do. Like, okay. So instead of her getting bullied all the time, like she's so used to, these two girls are actually really nice to her. They go to the mall. They, you know, help her find wigs that look more like human hair. They help her teach her how to like do her makeup. So her eyebrows will look more natural, get her some fake eyelashes, like teach her exactly or how to look instead of looking like, quote, Tammy Faye Baker, uh, mm. if you're familiar with her as well. So, oh, yes. It, oh, yes. I yes. Am. Aren't we all? That's some big hair. Tammy Faye. Uh, so in 2003, she, I think she's a junior in high school, maybe about to be senior. This bitch and I are the same. Yeah. We were in the same class. Yeah. I knew <gasps> people that knew her. Probably. Um, All right. Start thinking about everybody in middle school who wore a wig. Yeah. (laughs) So she's (laughs) hanging out with the popular girls. She gets popular. She gets voted Miss Irresistible by the entire student body of Clear Lake High School. And she's like, this shit is awesome. But at the end of that year or the school year, Tiffany and Rachel graduate. And Tiffany and Rachel move out of their parents' parents' house and, like, into an apartment together. But Christine, on her own now, has met this really shitty guy named Chris Snyder, who was 21 years old. So four years older than Christine, 21-year-old dating a high schooler, like a creepy creepy creepo already. Um, He's 
viewed as a pushy and aggressive guy with a criminal record and a hard drug habit. Christine's mom always said that there was something in his eyes. And Rachel and Tiffany are like, girl, you can do better. We don't like that you're hanging out with this guy. He's a piece of shit. And you should find somebody who like respects you and is nice to you. And Christine is like, y'all are just fucking jealous of me because I'm finally like happy and I don't have to do it with y'all. Like I'm a flower. I grew up. I'm on my own. Whatever. Like time. A little bit, you know, um, Except the guy that Ty was into actually ended up being the good guy in the end. I know. Uh, so Christine and Chris start – well, I told you Chris kind of had a hard drug problem. Hooray. Isn't that great? So mm. he's – The best the kind best of drug, kind problem. drug problem. There's so much like heroin and coke. Like I didn't see drugs until I moved um, right across 45 from Clear Lake. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I I didn't see him either, but I didn't live there. Anyways, uh, so they're starting to do drugs together. Christine is obviously being corrupted by this guy. He's older than her. She comes from like kind of a real rough upbringing. And so obviously she's just all into it. They would have these huge fights. Um, They'd get violent. She'd come to his house, sleep in his front yard, try to break into the house. She threatened to kill his mom and his family. Like all of these fights were huge knockdown drag out fights. But it all comes to a head and they're both like real fucked up and they're like, you know what? What we need to do is we need some fucking money so we can go buy drugs. And they're like, let's go over to Tiffany and Rachel's place and see if – One, there's drugs there, but two, if maybe we can rob these people. So at 3.30 p.m. on July 18th, 2003, they go over to Tiffany and Rachel's house, and they're both 18. At Rachel's house, there's also one of their boyfriends named Marcus Ray and a cousin named Adelbert Nicholas Sanchez. Adelbert, what a sweet name, who's 21. Uh, They come into the house and shit kind of heats up real quick. They, sorry, I'm, I'm switching between two different accounts of this because there's a lot. So... They come into the house, they're arguing with them, and Chris pulls out a gun. But Christine also has one. She's dressed all in black and is holding it, standing right behind Christopher also, and they just fucking start shooting. They shoot Tiffany 
and Rachel a bunch of times. And it's mostly Christine who's doing all of this. And Rachel ends up being shot like, I want to say it was 12 times. Uh, And she's still alive. Everybody else in the house is fucking dead at this point. Rachel is trying to get to a phone to call the cops, which doesn't happen. Um, Christine ends up beating Rachel to death after she's been shot so many times. When the police show up, so somebody heard it, called the cops. Christine and Chris get out of there. Uh, The cops come and they are like, there's over 40 rounds shot inside of this place. Blood everywhere. They find that that Tiffany and Rachel had both been shot in the crotch. Like, but the boys hadn't. So there's the way they're seeing this is like, this is clearly overkill. And somebody had some weird kind of like sexual, possible jealous, Mm old rage at these two girls. But Mm -hmm. they're like, well, the guys that were at the apartment also, who were also killed had been dealing drugs And so the cops are like, well, I guess this is just some drug-related thing. They didn't find any evidence of, like, Christine or Chris. And they didn't even really have them in their head as an idea at all. And so three years goes by without the cops finding anything against these people. So... Todd or Todd, Chris and Christine obviously still have this toxic fucking relationship. They end up getting or breaking up. Um, and he moves away, but they're still scared. Christine ends up coming into like a trust, I don't know if it's considered a trust fund. Uh, but she ends up getting a bunch of money from her dad's life insurance by the time she turns 18, like almost $300,000. And she also decides like, okay, I'm going to get sober. So she goes to rehab. She meets this guy in rehab that she like falls in love with and they decide to get married. And she then confesses to him that she was the one who killed these four people along with her ex-boyfriend when they were all fucked up. And he's like, Mm. holy shit, this is crazy. But also, uh, let's like go on the run because You told other people about this, I think, and we need to just fucking get the hell out of here. And so they start doing a fuck ton of cocaine and heroin, and they move into a La Quinta Inn, excuse me, and just go on this huge drug binge. 
They're living off of Cheez-Its, Reese's peanut butter cups, and a bunch of soda. They never leave the room. They're never allowing housekeeping in. And weeks go by, and the whole entire room is just basically covered in blood and vomit and feces and over a hundred needles. They end up living in this room for seven months. And 10 days before the third anniversary of the murders, Houston police receive an anonymous tip from a man who happened to be in rehab with her who said he had met Christine in rehab. She had told him how her boyfriend and her committed the Clear Lake murders. And the cops are like, hey, thank you for this tip because we didn't find shit. We're going to track you down. And so they do. She's been using her card through ATMs. And within two days of the tip, they arrest Christine. And she's like... All right, you caught me. Uh, they she gives kind of a bunch of different things what may have happened on the afternoon of the murders, but eventually she gives away enough that combined with the guy who tipped him off's testimony and other evidence, prosecutors are able to convict her of first degree capital murder, and she's given a mandatory life sentence. But not the death penalty because when the murders were committed, she was 17. So mm. not really an adult. And she is ineligible per- for parole for 40 years. Her former boyfriend, Chris Snyder, ran into the woods with a bottle of soda and a collection of pills once he heard that the cops were coming for him and killed himself like a little fucking bitch. Uh, At least he had his soda. (laughs) Yeah. I guess he was like, give me that Mountain Dew so I can chug all these pills. Uh, As to the question of why a 17-year-old girl would turn so violently on the people, quote, the only people who wouldn't stab stab me in the back, which is something she once said, The only possible answer is from Chris Snyder's sister, Brandy. That's Brandy with two E's, y'all. Yo, that's a good one. I like that. Two E's. Quote, I remember her being intensely jealous. There must have been something, some underlying jealousy between Christine and Rachel. And when I saw the photos of Rachel, I knew instantly she was very beautiful so this is starting to sound like a rejected script from friends (laughs) very violent version of friends (laughs) (laughs) weird fanfic scripts the one where rachel goes ham right to this day christine continues to exhibit no interest in apologizing or explaining anything that's nuts. That's the story of the Clear Lake murders. Lisa, did you know them? No, I Googled her and that picture of her like at some hearing in court is rough. Well, I mean, <clears throat> she does legit have alopecia, so 
I know. It's not but not good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I didn't and I'm also weirded out because like I was telling Karina, I was like, you cross under an overpass and it that's where I lived. And I'm like, and you never heard of it. Hear about no. And it's not like I was doing shit. I was a, in high school. Right. Mm. I wonder if it's because it was like adults that were murdered. Because like really the only major murders I remember growing, hearing about growing up as a kid were like the yogurt shop murders because it was like still in high school girls in Austin yeah. who got murdered. But other than that, like I can't recall – any major murders in Austin at all. I There were a few down where this happened. Right. But did you like know I, about them when you were in high school, like when that would have been happening? I knew about Robert Durst, um, mm. the body that in Galveston um, that was found in the trash bag. And then I knew about, I think this happened twice, but um, there were, uh, a young couple that uh, put their baby in a like tub and threw it over the causeway to Galveston. And then I knew about um, what's her name? The woman who ran over her ex-husband in the, um, I want to say it's Clara Harris, uh, but she ran over her husband in like a hotel parking lot. I knew about that one. That was also right down the road. And then um, uh, Andrea Yates happened mm. uh, maybe a mile and a half away from where Ooh. I lived. That's a so lot. So I, yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. the cops at that point or the everybody just chalked it up and was like, clearly this is drug related murder. So not news yeah. headliney thing for Houston. I don't know. <laughs> I don't That's know. Not... Yep, yep. Well, Merry Christmas, you know. Merry mm-hmm. Christmas. Very Merry Christmas. To all and to all a good night. The lesson is, you know, just don't be nice to people. Never. Ever. True. True. What does it get you? Nothing. Fucking nuts. What is it good for? Yeah. Nice. Oh. What is it good for? Well, it was good to see your faces, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. It sure has. Too I've been doing long. Um, Twitch. Should we do this on Twitch? Figure out how to record it. Do it. Yeah. People can watch live if they want. Woo-wee. Just as long as I can't see the number of people, if they're like, I just don't want to see when there isn't anybody. No, we would just do it just like this, and then I would just stream it through Twitch too. But we would see just this. I'm I'm down. It's our first, it'll be our first live show. Oh my God. Don't even have to do anything. You just sit there. Oh, I'll throw a Venmo up there. Oh, good. Tip the band. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe in our our New Year uh, 
would show. do it on New Year's Eve at midnight and expect people to watch it. No, I would yeah. be so blockbuster. I can barely <laughs> Yeah, I don't stay up late. Except for that yeah. one time. Mm-hmm. I like blew my load staying up until like four AM a month ago. You talking about your wedding? Or- no. I didn't oh. stay up till four AM then. No, no. Okay. That was more there like one o'clock, maybe. That's reasonable. That's and a good that wedding bedtime. Hmm. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Before I get booted off again, I guess we should. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening. Follow us at Weird Brunch everywhere. Rate us if you feel like it. That'd be great. Um, From hottest to least hot. That's that's yes. the rating we're looking for. <laughs> right up from ho to ho to ho. That's what we yeah. want to know. Yeah. The most ho. Who's most the ho. least ho? Least ho and just right ho. Like I want that Goldilocks ho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Goldilocks, by the way, was a ho. Yeah, she's the worst ho of them all. 